The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'd like to share with you this morning <clears throat> some thoughts and reflections I've been having recently on the first precept. The first precept is simply not harming or not taking life, not killing. Or we can expand it and say honoring, protecting, preserving, respecting life. Which I find really opens it up, gives it much more meaning, makes it a much richer debate, and I think makes it much more meaningful. There are many things that if we look at in terms of honoring life, have a much broader picture, a much broader view than just not killing. We often think of it in terms of, okay, not killing uh, insects, taking spiders outside, uh, that kind of thing. But hopefully I will suggest some things today that maybe you haven't thought of, or if you have, maybe it's worth thinking about again. It's important to remember that in Buddhist practice, the precepts are not commandments in that there's, well, two things. There's no concept of sin if we break a precept. It's understood that we will. We cannot live without breaking the precepts, um, especially the first one, because we're constantly breathing in microorganisms. When we boil water, we, boil, we kill microorganisms when we take antibiotics. So it's really impossible to live without breaking it. But, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, we do our best. We keep it in mind and do our very best. And when we realize that we have broken a precept, we acknowledge it, And I like to say, recommit. We come back to the practice. There's no need to beat ourselves up. There's no need to be hard on ourselves. We just acknowledge, oh, I did that. I don't want to do that. I don't intend to do that. And come back. And far from making the precepts then less serious or less important or valuable, I find that this idea of working with them, I like to say sometimes struggling with the precepts, actually for me makes them more meaningful, makes them richer, makes them um, a deeper part of our practice. So I'd like to read you what Thich Nhat Hanh says. He always uh, expands on the precepts. And he says about this one, do not kill. Do not let others kill. Find whatever means possible to protect life 
and to prevent war. So he adds another perspective. Do not let others kill. So it's not just that we, isolated, separate, should not take life, but we should not let those around us take life. Wow, what does that mean? How do we not let others take life? It occurs to me then that it's very important that we be aware that we know what is being done in our name. And there's a lot of killing that happens in our name, isn't there? Wars. Wars are fought in our name. Thich Nhat Hanh says we've become very good at protesting wars once they start. But we're not so good at preventing them. So thinking about How can we work towards preventing them? I remember many years ago, I think it was maybe during the first Gulf War, um, the Dalai Lama was asked, what should we do? We're in this war, what should we do? And I remember he said, I don't know. What we should do is work to prevent these wars. Once you're in them, It's very hard. It's very hard to know what to do. But we can work towards preventing them. And that's something we can all do in small ways, large ways. We can do whatever we can. There are a lot of activist things we can do, you know, writing letters and making calls and emails and protesting, and etc. And all those things have value. Buddhist Peace Fellowship has been quite active um, using blockades, using silent protests. There are many ways to let our voices be heard, perhaps in silence. But maybe the most important thing each of us can do is to practice non-harming or to practice honoring, respecting life in our own individual lives. That matters because people observe, people see how we behave and what we do. And that can be a very powerful way of spreading the dharma of non-harming, of not taking life, of respecting, valuing life. All traditions, it seems, have a precept or an understanding of not killing, not taking life. Buddhism, however, includes all of life, 
all living beings, not just humans, but all living beings. And we can see that as protecting, preserving, honoring life, life itself, not just human life, but life itself. We can look at the roots, the root causes of killing, both individual and collective. What are the reasons behind someone taking another life? One reason, and we see it all over the world today, don't we? is that people hold so tightly to their views and tend to think, the view I hold is the truth and the rest of you are wrong. And that's a good way to start a fight, isn't it? An individual fight or a collective fight. In Buddhist practice, we are encouraged to let go of that grasp on our views, to relax, to hold our views lightly. That doesn't mean we have to value them any less. We just hold them lightly so that we don't have to defend, fight, kill for our particular view. And we're encouraged, you know, as we become free to let go of all views, even Buddhist ones. I love that. They're not to be held on to. They're not in and of themselves what's important. They are practices. They are guidelines to lead us to freedom. And so there's no need to fight. There's no need to defend them. And in fact, sometimes I think views that are not held so tightly, are not so defended, can be the most um, honored. We can also be very careful of our identity view. That is, holding on to who we think we are. We also see that throughout the world, don't we? That people hold very, very tightly to who they are. Whether it's religious or nationalism or uh, any other belief system that they have. And they hold and will defend to the death, right, (laughs) who they are. And look at the enormous, enormous suffering that that causes. So we can remember also to take ourselves lightly. And when we say lightly, that doesn't have to mean less seriously or less valuably. But we don't have to defend who we are. 
we can just be. And that's enough. There's no need to defend that being. And in fact, that's what creates conflict. But when we just are, there's nothing to fight, nothing to rail against. So taking ourselves and our ideas, our thoughts, our political ideas, economic ideas, um, anything that we take so seriously or we hold so tightly to can become a seed of violence, can become a point of conflict. Because if the other person holds just as tightly to their view, to their beliefs, then we're going to clash, aren't we? And we don't have to do that. So, I don't know if you have noticed, but I have noticed just in the last two or three weeks, so much attention put on the Christmas truce of 1914. Have you heard of that? Um, I guess because it's the 100 year anniversary. If I knew about it before, I had forgotten. But I have found it so fascinating. There was a play in San Jose. I've gone to a couple of concerts where there was music written about the Christmas truce. So I, what do we do in this day and age? I googled it. (laughs) And um, it's quite amazing to me. It's quite astounding. I don't know that it was spontaneous, but seemingly Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, the German soldiers started singing Silent Night. And pretty soon, the Allies responded. And for at least 24 hours, if not 36, there was no fighting. And in fact, they sang together, they drank beer together, they gave each other gifts. (laughs) It must have been quite an astounding sight. I think that in itself is just a marvel. But then to show the complexity of these issues and the complexity of human beings, the next morning they started shooting at each other again. That's what I don't understand. You know, I can sort of understand the truths and people meeting and recognizing that We are fellow humans, and let's don't do this. We don't want to do this. And then the next morning, poof, it's gone. And they're killing each other again. That is so astounding to me. And points up, as human beings, how complex we are. And what we are capable of. 
We know that in many other ways, don't we? We're capable of the most incredible generosity and kindness and love. There have been all kinds of stories also of generosity. You know, there was a fire in San Jose and... um, What was it? A stove fire or something? I can't remember. Anyway... um, a man came by and asked the fireman, you know, what had happened, and the fireman told him. He went home and got $2,000 and came back and gave it to the family that was affected by the fire. Just, I mean, that, the incredible generosity of the human heart. And then at the same time, the seeming incredible harm that we can cause. It's mind-boggling to me (laughs) that we can do that. So from a practice perspective, what we can do is work to develop the qualities of the heart, the qualities of awakening, the qualities that we talk about all the time, generosity, loving-kindness, gratitude, the ten perfections, the Brahma-viharas. We can work to, to perfect them to the best of our ability within ourselves. And we can practice them with others that we meet. So others are met by our generosity, not by our anger or ill will or vengeance. We can honor each other. We can honor all humans. We've seen recently the rash of killing of unarmed people by the police. And we saw, just last Saturday, was it, the brutal killing of two policemen. Vengeance seems to be Huge in our culture. Punishment. Getting back. And does that solve anything? Does it really do anything for anybody? I don't think so. But mostly it harms us. When we hold on to vengeance, resentment, blaming, ill will, We're the ones that are harmed more than those for whom we hold that vengeance. So some other questions that come up when we think about the idea of honoring, protecting, respecting life. We can expand our thinking. So I mentioned antibiotics, something probably we mostly take for granted. But now, current research is showing that by taking so many antibiotics, we are wiping out not only the harmful bacteria, but all of the bacteria in our gut. 
You know, so often it's a broad spectrum antibiotic. It used to be when I was in nursing school, <laughs> you know, back in the 60s, um, if someone had an infection, it would be cultured and sent to the lab, and we'd find out exactly what the bacterium was, and then the antibiotic that was specific for that bacterium would be prescribed. Now we don't do that. Often there's no culture taken. We just prescribe a broad-spectrum antibiotic. And it wipes out all of the organisms, not just the one that was causing the problem. And so I saw a DVD recently um, suggesting that wiping all those out is partly creating all of the autoimmune diseases that we're seeing now. Yeah. Sometimes it seems that, that we're rather reactive. <laughs> and we don't stop and think. We don't consider what the ramification of our actions might be. Sometimes we just don't know. But it's important that we find out. I mentioned animals, and often we talk about animals in Buddhist practice in terms of not taking life. Some Buddhists are vegetarian. Some are not. There's a new group that has formed now called Dharma Voices for Animals. And they have produced a DVD that I saw recently, uh, Buddha and Animals. And, um, you know, it's very explicit. It talks the, about the way animals are treated. It's, um, without saying so, it's really encouraging. Not only vegetarianism, but veganism. It's powerful. Um, I have been vegetarian for many, many years, and becoming vegetarian was easy for me. Vegan? For me, that's a whole other story. That is really difficult. And I feel like I should, <laughs> but I've not been able to. And so what I have done, how I have at least at this moment, worked with that myself, is I continue to use eggs and eat cheese and yogurt. And I contribute to animal welfare organizations, and I do my best to protect animals. I adopt um, rescued animals. You know, I, I do what I can. And I have it in my mind, someday, someday I'll become vegan. But that's a very difficult move for me. So we all have places like this, right? Some things are fairly easy to do. Other things we struggle with, they're much more difficult. So another issue that seems up in our culture right now is euthanasia. Euthanasia both for animals and for humans. And sometimes I get asked, how, how do we hold this? What do Buddhists think about this idea? I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Tan Jeff was here, 
Tom Jeff is very much a fundamentalist in the sense of following the teachings per se. And I remember him saying, the Buddha said, no killing, period. And someone asked him, what about animals that are suffering? Probably many, if not all of us, have had the experience of euthanizing an animal that was ill or suffering. And Tan Jeff said, no. Make them as comfortable as you can, but don't kill them. I don't know. That's a hard one isn't it? I have done both. I have euthanized. I have allowed animals to die on their own. Situations were different. And I think this is where there's not one answer. I appreciate what Tan Jeff says. I think it's, it's a place to start. And I think a thoughtful debate thoughtful consideration is important. What about people? You know, it seems we're moving more and more towards some kind of ability to, how should I say it, encourage the death of someone who is close to death or greatly suffering. And it's a very big debate, isn't it? Where do we draw the line? How, how do we do that? I don't have the answers. I know that <clears throat> uh, in hospice work, every effort is made to relieve pain, to relieve suffering. And sometimes in that way, Um, death may be hastened. And it's not considered euthanasia. It's considered relieving pain. Uh, I never knew Suzuki Roshi, but I have heard that when he was dying, he said, if I suffer when I die, that's okay. That's just suffering, Buddha. So again, we have a strong sense in our culture right now that we shouldn't suffer. We shouldn't have pain if we're ill or dying. And as I said, every effort is made to be sure that a dying person doesn't suffer. And Suzuki Roshi says, that's okay. That's just suffering, Buddha. (laughs) So these are, are just things to consider. Is it taking life? Is it honoring, respecting life? To allow someone to die peacefully. To pull the plug, as we say. To allow death to take its natural course and not interfere. There's a difference, I think, between not interfering and actively promoting or encouraging 
death. There's a debate in this country about abortion. And again, I pose the question, is it honoring, protecting life to prevent an unwanted pregnancy? To prevent the birth of a child for many reasons? I think if we look at it in that way, are we protecting life? Are we honoring life rather than killing or taking life? Again, it opens the discussion. How about the death penalty? Very often people are supportive of the death penalty and opposed to abortion. Or the opposite, support abortion and opposed to the death penalty, which just shows <clears throat> how complex, how complicated the issues are. There's no, at least from my perspective, from a Buddhist perspective, um, there's no one clear answer. It's not one size fits all. It is seeing each situation in its entirety. So often we see things as black or white, this or that, good or bad, rather than the entire situation, taking everything into account. So how can we honor our lives and the lives of others? How can we be respectful? Some thoughts I've had are that we live wisely, that we use our lives wisely and with care, and not waste them, not fritter them away, but be thoughtful and careful about what we do, about our actions, our speech, Our thoughts, even our thoughts, are very powerful. So we honor life by acting as wisely as we can. By being of service. Serving other lives, not just our own, but other lives as well as our own. I've already mentioned developing the qualities of the heart, the qualities of freedom, moving more and more towards our own awakening, our own freedom. By practicing the Buddha's teachings, by not grasping, holding on to anything, but living openly and freely. Contemplating, meditating, but also contemplating. 
our actions, our thoughts, our speech. Being mindful, bringing mindful awareness to everything we do. Being aware of the suffering that our actions may cause for ourselves or for others. Seeing the effects of our action on ourselves as well as others. And doing our best, our very best, to honor our lives and others just as well as we can. I'm thinking of a story that is in Jack's book, um, Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. Quite an amazing story of a woman whose son was killed, I believe, by a gang member. And at the trial of this gang member, she stood up and said, I'm going to kill you. And then after he went to jail, she began visiting him. She visited regularly. She brought him things. And when he was being released, she invited him to come live with her. She helped him get a job. Can you imagine? And one day she said to him, do you remember that day in court I told you I was going to kill you? Oh, yeah, I do, he said. She said, well, I have. (laughs) The boy that killed my son is no longer here. And I want you to be my son. (laughs) And, And I think the last sentence is, and so the killer of her son became her son. Really hard to imagine, but wow, isn't that something? That is really honoring life, isn't it? So I'd like to end with reading this someone just gave me. A, uh, it's attributed to the Dalai Lama, and it's called A Precious Human Life. Every day, think as you wake up. Today I am fortunate to have woken up. I am alive. I have a precious human life. I am not going to waste it. I am going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart out to others, to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. I am going to have kind thoughts towards others. I am not going to get angry or think badly about others. I am going to benefit others as much as I can. Nice to remember. So I think we have three or four minutes. Would anybody like to share something? Uh, I remember uh, reading in the Mijimakaya, the Buddha talking about uh, killing. And he said, do not kill any sentient beings. He qualified it. 
And I had to look that up. And it means any, any thing that's alive, mm -hmm. it can by, by its own will decide where it's going to go or not go. Like an ant would qualify. Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you. I've often heard it said, um, anything that has feeling. I just wanted to comment, um, I wish I knew the quote by Thomas Merton, and it's a quote about uh, harming the capacity that we have to harming ourselves if we try to do, to take on all of the causes that we believe in, that that it's too much. And I think we, I, I like your idea if we do it the best we can, mm. but at the same time, really be mindful of caring for ourselves in activism. Yes, because we're part of it all. And so caring for ourselves is as important as caring for others. No difference, really. We care for others, we care for ourselves. We care for ourselves, we care for others. No difference. I'd just like to compliment you because I think that you um, treated a topic that's very, very controversial with a good deal of poise and interest and no matter whether people believed or agreed with whatever you said one way or the other, whatever, I just appreciate you bringing it up because I think we don't do quite enough of that around here. Not, not negative, but it's good. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Cher. I knew I was taking a risk. <laughs> To follow up on that very uh, astute comment, uh, we talked, you and I, uh, many times about this subject uh, regarding animals. And uh, I found your advice uh, quite helpful. And uh, this talk, one of the most moving I've heard all year. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Carl. It, it is something that, um, that we all face all the time. And my intent today really was just to raise our awareness, you know, to bring it to the forefront and to have us, as you said, Cheryl, whether, whether people agree or disagree, um, that's irrelevant. If we're thinking about it, <laughs> if we're contemplating, if we're being aware um, of what we're doing, that's the point, yeah. And when I, when I said about Tan Jeff that he was a fundamentalist, I want you to know that the last time he was here, I checked that out with him. <laughs> I said, are you a fundamentalist? He said, what do you mean by that? I said, follow the letter of the teachings. He said, yes. I said, good, because that's what I've quoted. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. Oh. Mm -hmm. uh, we all love you very much. <laughs> <laughs> He's my biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all. Have a good morning and enjoy brunch. <laughs>